Hello and welcome to Making Creativity Pay, a podcast where we talk to people in creative industries about how they promote and market their work. I'm Dan Barnett and on this episode I will be speaking to comedian Liam Withnail. Off the back of a sellout run at the Edinburgh Fringe, I talked to Liam about his experiences at the festival in August, what he did to promote the show, challenges he faced putting the show together and how he's now taking it nationwide with a tour starting in March. We also discuss his podcast Enjoy an Album, which he co-hosts with fellow comedian Christopher MacArthur Boyd, which itself has been a live show at Edinburgh. We talk about how they've introduced video and developed the podcast with the financial help of Patreon supporters. The start of our chat was slightly different from the normal podcast intro where our guest talks about who they are and what they do. We were discussing phone calls which got me thinking about the dramatic start to Liam's fringe show Chronic Boom and so we jumped straight in. So yeah, um, this year at the Edinburgh Festival I did a show called Chronic Boom. It was a, a sort of storytelling stand-up show about chronicling a time that I spent in hospital in, well, a year ago now, uh, after a quite a bad flare-up of a condition I have called colitis, which is a type of inflammatory bowel disease when I was in hospital for about two weeks. And, you know, I'm a stand-up comedian, so whenever anything awful happens, you tend to go, well, I'll get a fringe show out of it. And so um, I did. Uh, I turned the sort of harrowing two weeks into uh, one long story, which I then, then did at the Edinburgh Festival. And the, the phone call, which you're referencing, is the, the very start of the show, is uh, some footage I found when uh, I was recording uh, my podcast I do with Christopher MacArthur Boyd. It was when I first got the phone call telling me that I had to go to hospital. So, and it's very emotional and, and, you know, I'm quite upset because I've been having a real tough time at that point with this, uh, this condition. And so, you know, once I started work on the show, I sort of remembered that I had this, that we were recording when I'd found out. So I went and found the footage and that ends up being the sort of launch pad at at the start of the show. With the show, I mean, you, you've done a number of fringe shows over the years. Before all this happened, did you have something else in mind as a show that you wanted to do for 2023? Or were you still in the kind of early stages? It was pretty early stages. I mean, I, I it, when I'm doing a show, I, I tend to really ramp up work post-Christmas because Fringe is a lot of work, especially if you write concept shows. Uh, so coming out of Fringe, I normally sort of go September to Christmas is kind of like a bit of a lay period where I allow myself, I mean, I'm still work a gig five nights a week, but I'm not really working up material um, in those months. So it tends to come from Christmas onwards. The only thing that I had in my mind was that I wanted to do a show that was more ambitious than the last show I'd done because the previous Fringe I'd done a sort of just fun hour of material a sort of small through line but nothing you know not a big concept hook you know it had been like a sort of extended club set type show and I came out of that Fringe glad I'd done it but wanting to uh do something a bit more you know uh theatrical uh or concept heavy the next year and then well fate uh landed a serious flare-up of a chronic illness on my lap it was only as i it was only actually a little while after i came out of hospital that i decided to to sort of that was going to be the show because yeah when it was happening it wasn't it didn't i didn't feel like i would be able to get an hour out of it because i didn't find it very funny at the time you know (laughs) no no you kind of talk about it in the show i mean how close were you to kind of either not being able to physically do the show or to you know all the things that have happened to you meant that you wouldn't be able to get a show out or in time yeah so w- when i came out of hospital i should explain you know w- w- 
what the condition what what, what the problem was um and and that was my, my bowel you know essentially was not not working not functioning properly um and i was put on a lot of very heavy drugs and i had to go on a very extreme diet and i came incredibly close to having to have surgery and having a stoma um uh, fitted and you know coming out of hospital the real you know, it wasn't like I, I was like, oh, you're all better, you're cured, you're out of hospital. It was you're well enough to go home and we'll continue your treatment from home. So at that stage, I was still going into hospital once a month and sitting on a drip for four hours. I was still taking a lot of medicine. I was ba- eating really basic food, um, you know, rice, boiled chicken, scrambled eggs, smoothies. And so I, I cancelled any gig that wasn't basically within walking distance. So I could only gig in, in Edinburgh. At that point, it really felt like the fringe was not going to be doable whatsoever. I went and had a meeting with the the guys at Monkey Barrel where I usually do um, the fringe and said as much to them. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the fringe. Um, I had to cancel a load of international gigs and, you know, even as far as London at that point was, was too much. So the idea of put, doing a show at the fringe at that was was not really on the table just because in order to get a show ready, you've got to preview you have to travel to, to work up material uh, i i was kind of yeah low-key terrified about what the longer implications of the condition were going to be on my career now over the next few i think i had two months where i only really gigged in edinburgh and occasionally glasgow and then from january onwards i was you know i'd had a, enough time and was making enough progress that i was able to start sort of traveling around the country a bit for for gigs again so it was from that point onwards that i started to work up the show but i i was still um occasionally having mini flare-ups having to cancel a lot of gigs and uh, still having to be really cautious about what i was eating and how much work i was doing so had to come up with a way that I, if I was going to do a show, which at this point I was now thinking about doing, that how I was going to be able to do that in a way that was um, feasible. So I broke the show up into sort of smaller chunks that I could work at, work on at local new material nights. I was thinking of all different kind of crazy ideas. I, you know, I, at one point I was considering having uh, large filmed sections of the show in so that it wasn't reliant on me being well enough to do the whole show or having a portion of the show that was streamed you know that maybe if i had to do a fringe show from my house is that possible you know i was thinking of all these different ways uh in which i could uh you know get it together now luckily my health held together well enough that i could at at the very least do what i ended up doing which was go to new material nights work up the show in small chunks and then and then throw them together um for the whole show but it wasn't plain sailing there was there was cancelled gigs and there was uh yeah uh, hospital visits um and really the whole point of the show became about how you create something like that or in a broader sense how you manage to live your life when dealing with the uh the ups and downs of living with a chronic illness and so i mean you know both with the illness and obviously the, the pandemic as a, as a freelance self-employed comedian i mean how how tough has the last few years been yeah so um it's uh it's not been easy i mean the the, the pandemic i have to say the uh, i we bought a flat right about uh, a month before lockdown which ended up being incredible timing for a few reasons first off you know i had just 
filed a tax return that meant that help for self-employed artists um, was, you know, um, in, in pretty good shape in order to get a mortgage and all that stuff. So, so I was fortunate in that respect that, you know, the support that this was not true for a lot of my colleagues uh, and a lot of people who work in, um, you know, similar industries, but not quite the same. So the, the pandemic, I, I managed to get by, but it was a reminder of just how precarious it all is. You know, if stuff gets cancelled, you don't get sick pay um, as a self-employed person. So whether or not that's because of a global health pandemic or because your own personal health problems, you are always uh, thinking, even if you've got 50 gigs in the diary, all of them have the potential to be cancelled for whatever reason, whether that's your own issues, broader societal problems, or, you know, just just a run of bad luck. So it, it was a it has been a reminder over the last few years of just how precarious the whole industry is, which I guess has has led to different ways of trying to generate regular income. So one of the things that happened when I came out of hospital was my, the podcast that I do, we sort of took the step up into launching a Patreon and, and getting subscribers because that is something that we realised during bouts of ill health or you know other issues that might come up is still something that we can generally make that people like and generate a bit of income from so so it was the sort of combination of pandemic slash chronic illness that, that led to that decision for sure probably talk a bit more about the podcast later but i mean you're talking about the patreon i mean one of the things you talk about um to people who aren't patreon subscribers is you call them worms you have to try and get them Get the subscribe. I mean, <laughs> how, how, have you, how have you found the process of kind of, you know, it, it's it's the it's the big question that kind of you've know, talked to a lot of people on the podcast is to get that people from fan to, you know, I like your stuff, I'll listen to your stuff, whatever it is, you know, whether that's books, music, comedy, whatever, to actually, yes, I like you enough to pay three, four pound a month and, you know, to make that commitment. And it's such a hard step. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, I mean, we, we provide extra bonus content, you know, extra episodes. And they have to be, at the very least, the same standard of the, the free episodes we put out. Our podcast is every, every week we sort of review an, an album and talk about the, the artist that, who released the album. Generally, you know, if you've, you've heard it, it's very, um, it's not a very scientific academic podcast where we're, we're comedians and we're having a laugh. Um, but, but yeah, I was going to say, the Matt, album... you, you, start, you started out, it was going to be the top 500 greatest albums of all time. And then That's right. at, at what point did you think, no, we, we want to do something a bit more contemporary? Well, it was actually when I came out of hospital um, because I was in hospital listening to this country album going, life's too short for me to be listening (laughs) to country music every every other week. We had our issues with the list, the top 500 greatest albums of all time according to Rolling Stone. Um, And it it was, I think, in some respect holding us back. So we kind of relaunched the podcast when I came out of hospital to uh, include video and so that we could choose our own albums, which meant that we could choose albums that um, we felt would have more of an appeal to our you know our listenership and 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 get new people listening it meant that we could invite guests on to discuss their favorite album and that was always with the plan to stepping up towards a a, a patreon i think what brings people over is initially the uh the bonus episodes you know i'm a member of a few patrons and we kind of sat down and went right what patrons do you sign up for and why do you do it? And me and Chris are, are different in this respect in that Chris is someone who signs up to Patreon uh, just to support 
people he likes. There's not necessarily extra content there. Whereas I, the only, the ones I'm signed up for, I, is specifically because you know I've wanted to put on a podcast, and my favourite podcasts have run out of free episodes. I've listened to them all, and I know there's a bunch more behind a paywall. So I've just one day just just gone right. I'll go in and and, and I'll pay for that. So um, the people who just want to support the podcast generally, they have the option to sign up to Patreon already, you know, and, and then anyone else to try and get them in is uh, is definitely the, the bonus episodes. There's a few extra things that we do as well that I think does help. Um, we have adverts on our free episodes and our paid ones are ad-free, which I don't think that is a deciding factor necessarily for a lot of people, but I certainly think it is something that, that helps if you're trying to weigh up all the pros and the cons of signing up to a Patreon. It's, oh, that that advert that annoys me every single week that I have to get my phone out and, and skip through. Well, I don't have to do that. Also, the what we have found is good is the, the pre-sale um, for live shows. People res- the, the people who have signed up to the Patreon definitely, um, we've announced a few things recently, live shows coming up, uh, either our own individual solo shows or live podcast shows. And the guys uh, who are signed up to the Patreon definitely take advantage of the early bird ticket links which tells me that that is something that you know people are interested in if they if they wanted to sign up to a patreon so you've done a couple of live shows already i think the last couple of fringes i mean how have you found that yeah. compared to the to the regular stand-up well so the first what we've done two two uh fringes the first one was kind of just uh it was just we were just sort of testing the water we, we didn't put it on sale we uh we just sort of announced it on the podcast and it was basically it was a free event i think and people could just email us and tell us they wanted to come and so that was a pretty small low-key event um and then just to like see how it was and it was a lot of fun so next year we'll we'll do it properly and we we put it on sale and yeah i mean it sold out it was uh full of people who loved the podcast it was quite bizarre really because if you've listened to the pod you know we like sing jingles and stuff and having people sing along to the to the jingles and the the energy in the room there was so much goodwill in the room because i mean these are guys who listen to you for sometimes you know a few hours a week so it's kind of a parasocial relationship there where they they know you you know and uh it's you don't really get that with stand up because it is so one way on stage whereas the uh the pod it, doing the pod live it really felt like oh god there's a room full of people who love this thing that we are doing and we're doing it right now and and that's it's, it's almost like a, a sort of small community so it was really great and that's as soon as we finished we, we knew we wanted to do another one bigger so we're doing a sort of a quite a big room at the Glasgow Comedy Festival next year and tickets are selling really well and the response from people at the live shows was was incredible as well it was a, a lot of people's fringe highlight which we didn't really expect going in but then the the energy on the night was so much fun that um i think that that will be a sort of continued part of the podcast at the live shows and do you see a possibility of a tour there either on its own or combined with you know your individual shows um i think for the pod to tour we would need to um get quite a lot larger first we can we can sell a room in edinburgh and we're selling pretty well in glasgow you know that's where we're based and that's where you know a lot of people who come into the pod uh, i think come in via uh seeing either of us do stand up live and and we're mostly scottish based so I think the tour is a little way uh, down the road. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Because listenership, we, we've been doing it two years now, and so we're able to look at two-year stats of, of yeah. listenership, and it's 
it's gone up something crazy in the last year like you know um 500% increase in listeners or something so if we have another year like that then then maybe it'll be possible we are getting bigger and bigger guests on which obviously helps so i'm not um i'm hoping you know my 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 long term plan for the podcast is to be able to do that but but we're not quite there yet obviously you you've got your regulars but do you see spikes for particular albums so if if you pick an album that's particularly popular or current do you, do you see a, a spike above and beyond the normal yeah it's interesting um so uh, we definitely have you know you have people who listen every week and you have people who listen when they see an album that they, they like the, the biggest um spikes in in listenership are um high profile guests and albums that are sort of beloved by our demographic our demographic are broadly speaking people like us kind of men in their 30s um is the the highest like uh, portion of our listenership so any album that any sort of indie alternative bbc6 music listening man in his 30s loved growing up is going to do well so i'd so, imagine hot fuss um, did well then yeah yeah exactly so the killers hot fuss did really well um but um sean walsh coming on i mean he's a big profile guest um talking about blink 182 and state which for people my age uh, you know was a huge album when they were a teenager so there's an element of nostalgia mm. there as well i mean sometimes we do new albums um and they're a big band so with Stuart mcpherson on to talk about the arctic monkeys new album and that was uh, a really a really big episode sometimes i mean the mary lane robertson episode did really well um but i think there was more guest pushed rather than album she spoke about nelly Furtado, which i i I mean maybe it was the album um (laughs) so we are we're learning as we go what are the uh more popular ones but we we try not to be too led by that you know we obviously we want people to listen to to the podcast but we are trying not to be purely results based because we want it to be something that's fun and interesting for us so you know we're 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 just as likely to cover uh, you know we did jeff rosenstock's new album and uh and we did a metal album recently a band called green lung who who are not a particularly massive band um but it's an album that we both really liked so wanted to talk about so um we we try and have a mix of episodes that we think will bang because they're, they're you know they're kind of perfect for our demographic and stuff that we love doing and, and the same with guests like we, we got in sean because we know him and we like him and we knew it would be funny we're not going to pull in a high profile guest that is not someone that we think is you know that that we don't get on with or 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 know just because they happen to be high profile you know we we want the we want the podcast to be fun to listen to and and to feel like it's your mates chatting about music and that's the primary um focus behind every episode and you talked about kind of stepping it up and encouraging the patreon and and being more video led as well or video based i mean how, mm. how have you found that in terms of you know it's a completely different thing you know there's always this kind of thing about you know what's a podcast if it's if it's just up on a youtube channel is it still a podcast um i mean do you do you find it's a lot of work, extra work then kind of clipping videos adding things on yeah, them it, it, and kind it, of getting it, them out it is more work and it actually comes from a, a, a conversation i mean that i'd had with uh, i did a, a weekend at the cardiff glee um with adam rowe um obviously you know of have a word and i would assume one of his last sort of clubbing gigging weekends before he went on just his own tour and he said this was before we'd done video and he said if if you do video your your listeners will double overnight not just including people who watch on youtube but you'll see a spike in your other listeners 
and so that that kind of planted the seed for that and then we, we sort of finally took the leap so yeah it's a lot more work because we used to just record on zoom the way we are doing now um in the comfort of our own homes with no video so um could could sit in our pjs and take as much time as we wanted and rearrange really easily and when we moved to video we, we got into a studio which costs money to hire and we obviously have to be there and we've got a certain amount of time and you know you've got to look right you're you're filming it's going out and then you've got to edit it so at, at first i was doing all the editing we kind of realized that for this to be workable we couldn't have a podcast that was right cut this bit out cut that bit out put this bit in change that there because it was just going to be too much work for us to to get out on a a weekly basis so we kind of changed the podcast and and said to each other right what, what we say is what's going out so if you don't want something to not go out don't say it I found what took the most time was downloading and uploading more than the actual editing. Once I got into the swing of editing the episode, it was getting it on all the different platforms and getting the formatting right and all the, you know, just the silly things like the YouTube descriptions and tags and thumbnails. And that that was the stuff that was taking a lot of time. That, that was one of the benefits of getting the Patreon started and, and getting some money because it meant that we could then bring in an, an editor. We have a guy called Chris Thorburn, who's also a stand-up who we pay and covers that all for us the patreon money pays for that it washes its own face and that pays for the studio costs as well we had to sort of preempt that a bit we started paying for when we were first in the studio we hadn't launched a patreon yet so we were paying out in order to uh to keep the you know we were losing money in the podcast for, for quite a few months but we knew that we were launching the patreon and knew that we had a certain number of patrons that we had to hit um before we get our money back and and luckily it didn't take too long um in order for it to sort of not only cover itself pay back the money that we put into it but also to uh to to start making money as well going back to the the, fr- the fringe show so one of the things I think at, at Monkey Barrel, they, they keep the prices quite low, but then you kind of had a bucket speech afterwards. How did you find that, you know, that, that kind of thing of kind of doing that bucket speech? I mean, did you see a lot of volatility that some nights response was quite different to others or was it relatively consistent? So I've, I've always done free, free and bucket shows at, at the Fringe. Um, I've done them for, for a long time. So it, it, it wasn't particularly anything new to me. The difference with Monkey Barrel is that it's a, a paid show um, with a bucket for donations at, at the end as opposed to a, a free show. So the first difference there is if, if an audience are going to see a free show, the level of expectation is different to if they've bought a ticket. Um, because if, if you go see a free show, there's a kind of part in the back of your head that says, well, if it's shit, we'll leave. Mm. You know, And that's what you're contending with. If you're doing a free show most of the time as well, you don't have much profile. There are some high-profile acts who do do free shows now but generally you the audience don't know you either so you've got a kind of mountain to climb within the first few minutes of the show convincing the audience this is going to be good and you've chosen the right thing and you can relax whereas at monkey barrel you know the venue has a lot of esteem and people have paid for tickets already and now for a few various reasons profile has increased so the audience are, are there and they're happy to be there and they've, they've paid for their tickets so your bucket at the end is very much just depends how well the show goes that that day and you know reading how well a show goes i mean it it can be a simple thing of how much people laugh throughout the show but when you've got a high concept theatrical show that is about learning to live with uh, chronic illness you know sometimes it wasn't to do with how much laughter is it was how much it connected with people personally which is something that's harder to read so you have a bucket at the end and you, you sort of sell it as the tickets were this amount 
if you feel like it was worth more than that then this is a, a way of, 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 of tipping the artist and I should say that whilst you can, you do buy a ticket to go to Monkey Barrel shows they are the cheapest tickets at, at the Fringe and that is how you get people in it you know uh, my, my, I think my show I mean they have dynamic pricing it's different prices on, on different days but I think on a Saturday it will cost you £9 to go to the show whereas Saturday night, Saturday night shows at the other the big four venues will set you back probably double that £18, £19 mm. so people are already kind of they feel like they've got a bargain um and then you give them a a, a great show hopefully and and it's very dependent i think on the wording at the end of the show how successful the bucket is i think it's so important in order to to sell it right and if you tell an audience look this is um how if you're honest with them this is how it works you paid for a ticket but you know this works as a tipping service for me i normally tell them this is how much tickets are at other places it was much cheaper here if you want to make up the difference yourself you know i'm at the door people walk past you now most of my buckets most days were uh were 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 pretty good um i think a combination of explaining to people clearly at the end you know what the bucket was all about and and how to give money and and uh having a card reader that people can tap and give you donations on um as well as good shows but but also i mean i do think there was maybe i don't want to say cynical but because it it wasn't written like this but there, there was an element i think whereby my show was about how difficult my year had been um, particularly because the amount of lost work. Now, I didn't lay that on thick in order to get extra donations, but I, I do wonder if some people were maybe, you know, um, felt encouraged to, to donate a bit more because, you know, I was out there saying, look, my, my life has been really shit and that they maybe felt a bit of sympathy towards that. But I can't speak too much to that. I, I, I've, you know, the year before I had a show at Monkey Barrel and as I said, it was like a fun show and it was a sort of similar deal. I didn't make as much, but I still, you know, did, had pretty good buckets every day. And I think mostly it's down to, I think if you give people a good time, then they are, they're willing to, to hand over some, some cash, I think. So the, the, the best thing I can say to anyone doing um, a bucket style show is that the better the show and better the um, explanation of, of the bucket. That, that's a, I mean, I can't under, overstate actually how important that is, making sure you... Because I've seen people do brilliant shows and then just say, yeah, it's um, I've got a bucket if you, if you want to donate, and then they don't get anything, you know, mm. whereas actually thinking about what what you're saying and being real clear with what the the process is i i think is like a real important part of it as well didn't go up to the fringe but i saw your show on nexta did you get much feedback from that of people yeah i didn't really know it? what to expect because i've never worked with them before i didn't know how many people watched it um it was a real stressful day to be honest because i'd had my tech i i hired a tech for the month um and she was brilliant but she'd said to me at the start of the month, I can't work the last weekend, which, you know, when I hired her, fine. And then it got to the week, the last week, and I realized next up we're filming on the first day that I was working with a new tech. Now, you've seen the show. It's a pretty tech-heavy show, more so than 90% of comedy shows because there's lighting changes and sound effects and video and uh, all sorts of different stuff. So it was pretty stressful. I, I found a tech who, as it turned out, was just, just brilliant. So no, zero issues on the day. 
but I didn't know that until the show was happening. You know, it wasn't until I was on stage that I knew whether or not this guy was going to be any good. But so he nailed it, and I, I came off stage. It was a really good show that day, and uh, I didn't really realise until I sort of got changed and and packed up and 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 left the venue and I opened my phone and on Twitter and Instagram I had a lot of tags and and messages from people who had watched uh, on Next Up and responded really well to the show and and so I I really had I'd had no clue how I mean I just thought who's going to be watching this I've no idea and it, it turned out quite a lot of people and um so yeah it was that was um that was a good experience actually I I I was I was glad that it, that it worked out going to be next year taking the show on the road how do you go from you know being in one venue 20 30 nights to touring the country you know that involves then pr management booking it's it's kind of a, a different kind of beast yeah well especially for me because the show that i did at the fringe was entirely self-produced and i was unrepresented at the time you know it, it is very different when you self-produce a show you do everything you know you you register and the fringe you organize with a venue you, you negotiate times and prices you uh you you have to buy all your own posters organize your poster design um you have to put you have to you know have all that money up front if you are going to hire PR, which I did that year for the first year, um, you know that's something again that you are organising yourself. It's a relationship you have to to start yourself. I've done I've I've done fringes before where I haven't had PR, I've not been able to afford it, and so then you're writing your own press release and you are emailing it to every journalist, and every journalist wants their own personal written email because they don't like to feel like they're getting a a, a mass email, which. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. So on top of all that, you've also got to write and perform your own show, organise your own fringe previews. And, uh, you know, so anyone self-producing the fringe is doing about eight people's jobs. Yeah. Now, because of the success of the fringe, I, you know, signed with a big agency and um, a touring company called Burke's Nest came and watched the show and they're, they're, they're touring the, 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 the show. And the difference is, it's crazy because instead of me phoning 20 different venues who I've never worked with before, asking them if I can have dates, if they want to see the show, etc., etc., I you know, I'm, I'm not doing any of that. Instead, I'm getting an email from a tour company saying, here's 20 different dates. What, what do you think of them? Is there any places you want to go? If you do, let us know. You know, and it means that I can just focus on getting the show as tight again as possible before taking it out there. So the uh, the difference is is huge, and uh, and I I know people who organise their own tours, and my plan is, uh, essentially was if I didn't manage to find a touring producer to organise a tour on my own, but I would not have been able to do it on the scale that I am doing. And you know, I mean, we're yet to see how how successful it is but i i suspect that if i was doing it on my own it would have been mu- much harder much more work and probably with less less ticket sales as well i mean it's still quite a grueling kind of thing i mean it's you know you kind of whenever you see any comedians tour they're kind of here there and everywhere i mean looking at yours i mean there's others in between but your london 10th of april aberdeen the 14th and then brighton on the 17th you know that's that's quite hard both logistically you know and and physically and probably financially as well yeah, so I mean that there's some particular weeks that are, some are really good because they, they, you know, if you look at them, you're like, okay, that makes sense. Like so, that Brighton is near the Southampton date, yeah. which is near the Cambridge date. So they're all kind of like you're, you're south of England, which they've purposely put together. I think the there there are one or two that the just the dates didn't work, or we had to rearrange, and uh, and so there became that kind of crazy Aberdeen to to 
to Brighton. I mean, I've been a club comic for 10 years. So that has been essentially my life for, for 10 years, go, going yeah. to London for a night. I mean, I'm based in, in Edinburgh, so I have to travel a lot for work. I mean, you've seen the show. It involves quite a large whiteboard. So that is the uh, that is the one of the biggest hurdles for touring is how we're going to do this. We're actually going to build three different... Um, whiteboards and and uh, have them stationed at various points around the country so that I can get them to and from the venues easier rather than having to take this thing on a on a train. But so you, when booking in the tour, mostly uh, we're trying to do sort of Thursday one place, Friday a place that isn't too far, Saturday a place that isn't too far. But you know the 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 tour company were amazing when I sat down with them. They'd obviously seen the show, they knew it was health based, and they said to me, "How how do you want to do this, and what will be mm. best for you and and your health situation? Is it better to try and organise two weeks of dates, one after the other, in different cities?" Or is it better to try and do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you can have a few days off and then go somewhere else for Thursday, Friday, Saturday? So that's what we've done. So while some of the dates do look crazy, they generally do allow for a few days sort of just rest time to to come back home and chill and then go back on the road over the weekend, which is essentially what I do as a club comic anyway. You said like usually you kind of start ramping up a new show in January. I mean, do you have do you have 2024 kind of to, to plan as well as all this? Um, so I've, for the first time since I started doing stand-up, I've decided to take a fringe off. So after, I kind of feel like that that's my prize for having had such a, a successful fringe in 2023 is that I can move over to a, a two-year cycle. Because, yeah, working up a, a fringe show whilst touring um i just felt like it was going to be too much and then if i had any health you know stuff happen then you know everything would fall down at once so we're sort of going to a bit of a slower pace um but hopefully that means you know you can move to a slightly bigger room and there's a lot more comics because of the expense of the fringe um moving to a, a two-year cycle um it means that it's slightly you know you get longer hopefully the show as a result is better and tighter and hopefully financially it makes a bit more sense as well but also just i don't think it's as necessary as it was 10 years ago to come and do the fringe every year because it's it's, even if you have a good fringe you know which i i did it's still it's about i think i sold about 1500 tickets right i was in a in a 60 seater and i did one or two extra shows that's not a massive amount of people who have seen the show really Mm. um and so to even at the end of this tour, to then just completely hang up uh, the, the show entirely feels maybe a bit premature. And uh, yeah. I've done fringes before where I haven't. I mean, this is my first time touring. Most of my fringe shows I've done, I work for six months like crazy, do the fringe, and then just never do the show again. So I, I feel like moving to a two-year cycle will mean that more people can, can see the work you're doing over the course of uh, two years as well. And in terms of kind of promotion in general, so promoting, did it sell out? I think, it, did your sell out reasonably quickly? So you, you didn't have that kind of pressure of, you know, flyer in and pushing it and, and everything My else. show sold out every day on the day, okay. which is um, the most stressful way to sell out a show because every day you think, well, t- you know, uh, there's only this amount of tickets sold. Is, is this amount of tickets going to get sold before then? So you get both the thrill of selling out and the anxiety of checking your tickets every every hour. So my weekend sold out in advance, um, but every other day was it was sort of and some days way up until five minutes before showtime, 
the last tickets would sell. So I still had to do the flyering and the, and the promotion, and it's something that I've done. You know, I've done the fringe many times, so it, I'm I'm pretty pretty used to it now. Um, I I haven't flyed myself for for years. You know, I I, I try and find someone good um, who I trust um, to to work um, uh, for the month. And and this year I got lucky. I had a, a really good flyer, and you know, I had hired a really good designer, and so mostly that was relatively stress-free because you know i just had the flyers printed and, and and given to a guy and i knew i could trust him to be there and to, to do a good job and then just pay him um so it wasn't too stressful but i mean doing it yourself meant that for example you know i had these big posters that you you pay a lot of money for around the town and uh, you'll see if you're in edinburgh for the month you know stars appear on these posters and quotes and you know if you don't have a production company that or, or an agency then there's no one to put those stars up for you you know which meant that if i if i got a good review and i wanted it to go on the poster i had to go and i had to go and glue up those stars myself you know so that was that was a part of my fringe day to day you know we we we, we my wife made this type of paste which uh you can make with with flour and water which is like sort of you know it's it's protected from it's waterproof glue essentially so part of my i was because i I mean i had paid for pr and 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 the show did well so i i had a number of good reviews but every time i got a good review it meant i had to get the paintbrush out and get the the jam jar full of homemade glue paste and before my show i would walk down to the cowgate and and glue my own stars onto the poster which uh which i don't know any other comic that's that's done that to be fair normally but i mean that is if you are competing with um shows that have production companies and and big agencies and a lot of people working on it and you're just a guy doing it yourself then then those are sometimes the sort of things that you want to do now unless you saw me gluing my own stars on you wouldn't think oh that that guy's gluing his own stars on it's just another poster with a load of stars on so um you know it's one of those uh fake it till you make it kind of things you know where whereby if it, it it looks as professional as as the ones everyone else are doing then 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 that's a good sign and did you find social media more important this year in promotion or is it still very much flyers and posters quote i heard about marketing once was only about a third of it works but you just don't know which third so i can't tell you too much whether or not the social media or the gluing of the stars made a a bigger difference uh i do know that you know over the last couple years my social media it has you know i started putting stand-up clips online um after the pandemic and then a few of them went viral so i have quite a lot of followers on instagram and tiktok now and you know I, i posted a lot during the fringe and I would say that definitely would have had a had an effect, you know, people again because getting nice reviews it gives you something new to, to to post and I would encourage people at the end of the show, you know, if you enjoyed it, please take a picture of the flyer or take a picture of 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 me and 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 share it on your Instagram and I would imagine that just getting the name recognition out there is it, 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 social media plays a big part of that. I think most a lot of tickets are sold on the back of just just name recognition if people have heard oh right yeah i've heard of him then that's half of the 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 battle and then you know oh i've heard of this show is 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 another bit so having the socials uh having people share stuff on socials that i could then share made a made a difference i think for sure and have you found with the podcast and you stand up i mean do they support each other you know there'll be people who know your stand up didn't know the podcast and vice versa 
Uh, I would say every day at the festival, I had people who listen to the podcast. In the relationship between the podcast listener and the, uh, and them coming to shows is is massive and, and can't really be understated um, because it was uh, it was it was apparent. It was clear every day that that there were people in who who, who liked the pod. And again, I mean, whenever I think of of that side of things i just try and think about my own relationships with, with podcasts and you know there's a there, i'd say there's probably four or five podcasts that i listen to every week and i know that if any of them were putting on a show locally i would be there whether or not that be a live podcast show or one of them doing live stand-up so that i you know i definitely saw that coming in the, the, the other way and you know they're great audiences as well because they're already invested you don't have to convince them that it's good and that they've made the right choice because they already know you'd already like you as as far as they're concerned it's, it's almost like you know seeing a famous person because that's their relationship this is someone that who doesn't know me that i, I consume their uh, their content all the time so that that was that's one one of the biggest positives of doing a, a podcast is gaining that audience that are that like you already. Brilliant. I mean, thanks so much for your time. Uh, no, you've got the tour. If you want to promote that, and and also, yeah, talk about the podcast. Yeah, great. So um, the tour is going to uh, all over the country, all, all the major cities. Um, we've got some dates at the Soho Theatre in London, as well as dates at the Glasgow Comedy Festival. Um, we're going to, you know. If you're in, if you're in a major city in the UK, we're, we're probably coming there. Uh, that's in spring. Tickets are on sale. The the shows, you know, we're getting it back together, and uh, um, it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's selling pretty well so far. If you uh, are interested in the, the live show, the podcast, that's on the 17th of March at the Glee Club in Glasgow. That's part of the Glasgow Comedy Festival as well. And you know, watch your space both. Chris and I from the podcast will be making other announcements about that soon. The podcast is on everything where you get podcasts. We release four public episodes a month, um, and we've probably already covered an artist that you like. So if you're interested, go into uh, the, the, the the podcast on whatever app you use and just go and find an album that you like, and, and you can decide whether or not, based on our reaction to your favorite album, whether or not you'll become a, a regular listener. Fair warning, we get a lot of stuff wrong, um we are uh stupid guys but if you're looking for hard-hitting music journalism then it's probably not the right place if you're looking for two guys just chatting dumbly about music then it probably is thanks for listening there's more details in the show notes about liam his tour and the podcast if you enjoyed this check out our other episodes where we speak to a number of performers about their experiences at the edinburgh fringe as well as with creatives and other industries about making creativity pay